Hi, so this is our first real episode of the podcast, and I want to break it up into various sections. And I'm going to look at one medical condition primarily called atrial fibrillation, which may or may not affect you, but is very illustrative of some of the things that go on in our healthcare system that might be of interest to you in pretty much every spectrum of healthcare. Atrial fibrillation is big business uh, for the medical system. Pharmaceuticals make tens of billions of dollars on it. Uh, cardiologists make equally as much. And um, the, the myths that have been spun about this disease actually help us with other diseases. You know, one small note, I, I said I'm not talking about COVID very much here, but I was just um, got two minutes to testify uh, at a um, county mask mandate legislative session. And before I got my two minutes, they picked the people in charge picked three alleged experts from the medical community who they handpicked to basically spit out what they wanted to hear. And these people just simply said, believe me, I'm an expert. Um, they had no data to back up what they said. And they basically, everyone who then talked at this meeting said, well, how can we doubt the view of experts? And that that's our medical system in a nutshell. I talked to you about the ignorance gap of doctors and you know, the people who call themselves experts are the ones we really should be running away from because generally those are the people who make things up because everything is nuanced. And in, in a subsequent um, episode that we're going to talk about the same issue, we're going to talk about nuance and why people hate it. Patients want to know what's going on. They want an answer. And doctors, because of their ignorance gap, their high level of arrogance and low level of knowledge, are willing to give you an answer and make sure they tell you it's absolutely right. And as a patient, you have no idea whether that's true or not. You trust your doctor, um, and so you're stuck. So atrial fibrillation is a heart rhythm that's fairly common where your heart starts to go irregular. Your own body's pacemaker that you're born with starts to fibrillate, kind of shoot off very quickly. For most people, it's not a big deal. Um, most people don't even notice it. Uh, sometimes it, your heart goes really fast, and that's what brings it to your attention or your doctor's attention. It's very irregular, and it could be uncomfortable when it when it happens. So it's it's something that, from that standpoint, uh, needs to be addressed. If it's going fast or bothering you, we have medicines that can slow it down, um, and we can get you either back in your regular rhythm, which rarely works, especially when you get older, or we can uh, slow down your heart and get you feeling fine so it's not a big deal. Atrial fibrillation um, is something that doesn't lead to heart attacks. It's not a dangerous condition to the heart in most people, um, but it has a problem. When your heart fibrillates, so it's hardly, one chamber of your heart hardly moves, blood clots can develop in that chamber. It's called the right atrium. And those blood clots could break off, go through your arteries, boom, up to your brain, and cause a stroke. So people with atrial fibrillation have a higher risk of stroke than people without atrial fibrillation. The risk is not dramatically higher. Um, it really depends how much atrial fibrillation you have and what your other risk factors are for stroke, but there is at least a measurable difference. Now, this is the problem. The way to fix this risk factor is to go on a blood thinner, what we call an anticoagulant. In the old days, it used to be Coumadin. That was like an old rat poison that thins your blood and makes it unlikely that you'll develop a clot in your heart that could into a stroke. Um, newer versions of that, like Eliquis, Xeralto, Perdaxa, are out, um, and they are 
are much easier to take than Coumadin. Uh, they are have, despite research manipulated to show otherwise, they have the same outcome data as Coumadin, and they do reduce your risk of stroke if you have persistent atrial fibrillation. But there's a caveat. These, these medicines are blood thinners, so they cause people to bleed. If you bleed in the wrong place, it's not a good thing. In fact, if you fall down and hit your head, you might bleed in your brain. You might end up bleeding in your gut. If you're someone who bleeds often or falls often, these drugs can literally kill you. If you're on one of these drugs and get in a car accident, you will likely die. So it's, you know, it's not a drug that should, can be taken lightly. But that's not how the medical profession sells it. They sell it as though this drug is absolutely necessary for you to take or you will get a stroke. I've had cardiologists tell my patients that if they don't go on this drug in the hospital, they might get a stroke before they get home. They have a calculator they pull out, and that calculator gives you the risk of stroke. It might say, well, you have 10% risk of getting a stroke this year if you don't go on this drug, and that risk goes up every year, so you, you're going to get a stroke if you don't go on this drug. Um, so, for, you know, we have to look at all that. This, this is a, again, it's very illustrative of how people use numbers. The, here are some facts. These calculators do give you a risk of stroke um, that is uh, well, real in some people, but who puts the data in the calculator, right? Calculators are only as good as the data put in. So if you read Kathy O'Neill's book, Weapons of Math Destruction, you'll see models like these calculators are extremely inaccurate when they're applied to the general population because they're only as good as the specific numbers you put in, which are basically specific studies related to specific patients that have, may have nothing to do with you. The doctors don't see that nuance. It's an absolute. This is your not chance of getting a stroke. Secondly, a doctor might tell you that if you go on the blood thinner, you're going to cut your risk of stroke down by 50%. So that's true. You will. But again, 50% of what? You know, that's really important. Now, I, I, let's say that um, you have a chance, your, your chance of winning a lottery in Maryland, where I live, is three out of a million people win. And let's say the chance of winning the same lottery in New York is that two out of a million people win. Well, the Maryland people can say the chance of winning the lottery in Maryland is 50% higher in Maryland than in New York. Technically, that's true because the difference between three out of a million and two out of a million is a 50% increase. But anyone with a brain on their head would understand that that increase is minuscule. One out of a million people win the lottery more in Maryland than New York. So again, when doctors use those percentages called relative risk and benefit, they are pulling wool over your eyes because those numbers mean nothing. So we have to learn in atrial fibrillation, 50% reduction in stroke, what does that mean? And then a third thing we have to look at, which is what we call surrogate uh, endpoints. So a stroke is a surrogate endpoint. What does that mean? It means that we're measuring something that may or may not be important to you. Well, how could you say that? Strokes are important. Yes, strokes are important when they cause symptoms. But the majority of strokes actually don't cause symptoms. The majority of strokes that are reduced by drugs like Eliquis are little blips found on a CAT scan that you didn't even notice. Um, the problem is we only use about 5% of our brain, so you, people get strokes all the time, little ones in, in the parts
parts of brain they're not using. Also, the vast majority of strokes improve. So you might get a stroke, and a month later you're back to normal. So we want to know what kind of strokes Eliquis is present presenting, right? We don't want this surrogate endpoint of all strokes. We'll see this in bone density testing too, because bone density testing uh, makes people go on medicines that reduce the chance of back fractures. But the vast majority of back fractures that they reduce, the patient doesn't even know they have. So again, surrogate endpoint. And the other thing we'll talk about is basically what we call cognitive biases. So we as people are very easily manipulated by certain things. And so we're manipulated by what the doctor tells us because that doctor's an expert. And some of the numbers the doctor throws, throws at us because those numbers seem to be legitimate. And we're biased by what our friends say. Well, Joe went on these blood thinners and he's never had a stroke. But I know someone who I heard about who got a stroke who refused to go on the blood thinners. So therefore they work. So it's all this kind of stuff plays into this, this, this necessity of going on these blood thinners. So what I want to talk about is how we should approach something like atrial fibrillation because that we can then extrapolate to the entire medical system. And we'll show how we actually use numbers and we use bogus statistics to convince people that if they don't do something, they'll be dead. And we might be killing them with our treatment. So it's really important to understand what's beneficial and what's not. So when we look at atrial fibrillation, which we'll do the next time, I want to talk about what that 50% number means, and I want to give you some uh, other literature and other information that talks about why you better run away from doctors who talk in terms of percentages. So I will talk to you all next week.